Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis the Fourteenth, and we're here for another B-side. Before I get into that, some housekeeping up top. Please follow Pop Pantheon on Instagram and Twitter at Pop Pantheon Pod. I'm at DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on both Instagram and Twitter. Please rate and review and subscribe to Pop Pantheon wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us get in front of more people. And thank you so much to everybody that's been doing that. Check out our merch. We got merch at poppantheonpod.com, a dad hat. Pretty exciting stuff. And join our Patreon, guys. We launched our Patreon a couple of weeks ago. It's got so many perks, especially if you join at the Icon tier, which is $5. You're going to get exclusive merch drops. You're going to get input on future episodes of the show. You're going to get access to our iconic Discord channel. You're going to get invitations to virtual album listening parties. And most importantly, you're going to get more episodes of Pop Pantheon. We're doing so much exciting new content there. We're promising at least one bonus episode of the show per month. And this week we just dropped a new episode, which is myself and Russ reacting to the Grammy nominations, which just came out on Tuesday. So Russ and I get into all of the nominations, what they all mean, what we think it portends for the Grammys this year, who might win, whether they got anything right, et cetera, et cetera. So always fun to get into the Grammys. So check that out. And also as a little treat at the end of this episode, there's going to be a little clip from that episode in case you wanted to hear a little preview before you decided whether it was worth it to sign up for the Patreon. So stay tuned after the song at the end of this episode to check out a preview of our new Patreon episode about the Grammy nominations. Last two little pieces of housekeeping, DJ related. First is Gorgeous Gorgeous, My Queer Pop Party is back for another installment on December 3rd at Resident in downtown Los Angeles. So if you're there, if you're in LA, come have a great night with us dancing to pop music all night long. And if you're a member of the Patreon, Pop Pantheon All Access, we're going to put up a post in there where you can get on the guest list and get in for free. So another reason to join Pop Pantheon All Access. Ticket link for that is in the bios of our social media accounts. And also I will put it in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, if you're in LA the night after Thanksgiving on November 25th, that's a Friday, I'm DJing Britney night at Catch One in LA. So come out, hear all the Britney songs, all Britney related stuff. It's going to be really fun. Catch one November 25th. This week's B-side was inspired by the drop of Selena Gomez's new Apple TV documentary called My Mind in Me. And this film is directed by famed director Alec Kashishian, who is most notable for directing Madonna's pivotal pop star doc, Truth or Dare, which came out in 1990. So I thought My Mind in Me was interesting as its own document of where the pop star doc is currently. But I also felt like Alec helps link it back to pop doc history. So what this episode is about is an interview with my friend, Vulture and New York Mag writer, Rachel Handler, who sat down with Alec and Selena around the release of My Mind and Me and talked to them about the film and then wrote about it, about My Mind and Me, but also about pop star docs over the last 30, 35 years. How Truth or Dare set the template for them and what the recent swing of docs that sort of began with Justin Bieber's Never Say Never and Katy Perry's Part of Me has been like. What has it drawn on from Truth or Dare? What has it changed? 
how have the nature of these things changed? Are they actually good vessels for revelation about pop stars? What do they add to the conversation? Are they simply product? Is there variation between them all? So we touch on a lot of different docs here. Mostly my mind and me, but we talk about, as I said, Never Say Never, Part of Me, Beyonce's Life is But a Dream, Taylor Swift's Miss Americana, Billie Eilish's The World is a Little Blurry, Gaga's Five Foot Two, among others. So it was a really fun conversation, really interesting, a little bit sad about the nature of pop stardom, I guess, and also about what the future of these docs might be and what role they play in pop stars' career. Careers. So here's my conversation with New York Magazine's Rachel Handler. Okay, so I am here with Rachel Handler, features writer at New York Mag and Vulture, and my dear personal friend, Rachel. Welcome to Pop Pantheon. Thank you. As I, as I just told you, I literally have been waiting for you to ask me to be on this incredible podcast, so I'm so honored. The honor is all mine, and I think before we get into this, we need to discuss that the first time we actually physically met in person, I think, was when I DJed your wedding about yes. <laughs> two months ago, <laughs> which was so much fun. I had the best weekend ever in Hayward, Wisconsin. <laughs> A place I never thought I would end up, but your <laughs> wedding had the best vibes and energy going on of like any of the many, many weddings that I've ever done. Like definitely in the top one percentile. So Wow. That was, well it was it all was thanks great. to you. We danced for no. five hours straight, like like we were like that medieval town where they just dance <laughs> until they die. That's how it felt. It was so amazing. And I actually just need to also put out there, which is like totally unrelated. Well, not unrelated because I'm so glad everybody gets to be exposed to your winning wonderful wedding personality on the show today but your wedding vows were a tour de force like I <laughs> laughed I cried I believed in love anew I believed in a new version of love I had never believed possible That's it so was nice. I'll never stop thinking about the jar of jam or whatever that shattered <laughs> the on the ground the jar of honey that shattered <laughs> on the ground the and your now husband cleaning that for you and <laughs> that is like my new gold standard for like <laughs> when I know it's right you know what I mean like that yeah, is well, it was just beautiful oh my god thank you so much well it's just funny because we both put that story in our vows without consulting with each other like that for us was like the sort of major moment in our relationship <laughs> pivotal pivotal oh wait yeah. and the other thing that I think people need to know is that you arrived via boat to your ceremony. oh I did it was my mom sharing mama mia moment I, you know I, I had to do it I had to do it to him someone came up with it and I was like that's too much like that's extra and then like five minutes later I was like or is it just extra enough it was the perfect amount of extra and it was <laughs> one of the greatest secrets I got to hold for six hours in the presence of all of our mutual <laughs> friends at the camp I said I know what the surprise is and everybody was like don't tell me don't tell me and I was like I won't I've never been so emotional as like coming up I felt like I was dead like and I was like going down the river sticks into hell like just coming up on all my friends and family clapping as I, I literally felt like it was very haunting and incredible it was it was beautiful it was drama <laughs> it was everything that a wedding should be I think thank you thank you so much <laughs> but anyway we're here today to talk about an unmarried woman which is no oh, knock wow. to her well no. we're, we're here today to talk about many things but the thing that brought us together is that Selena Gomez, pop star, on whom we have done an episode of this show, a really good one that I recommend people go back maybe and listen to as a prelude to this episode, released her new 
pop doc called My Mind and Me on Apple TV Plus, I think this week or late last week. Mm -hmm. And you had the opportunity to speak with Selena about it and watch the doc. And I really was interested by your conversation with her. And I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to talk both about My Mind and Me as an interesting plot point in a larger story about pop docs over the last, I'd say, decade plus. And also to dig into a little bit about My Mind and Me, which was an interesting iteration on this formula. So Mm -hmm. what was it like talking to Selena? How did you find her in the interview when you got to sit down with her? Well, it's funny because we were joking earlier that I'm in my Selenator era, but I've always been in my (laughs) Selenator era because... So I have a much younger sister, and she was watching Wizards of Waverly Place, like, religiously Uh, when it was on, and so I would watch it with her. And I was, like, far too old to be watching it, but I I remember thinking, like, this girl is, like, Jennifer Aniston-level funny. Mm. It was giving Rachel and Friends. I know that sounds insane, but she was, like, 14, and she was bringing it. I don't think that sounds funny at all. I think she really does have a gift and, like, true screen presence and a really, like, naturalistic sense of comic timing. Yeah, yeah. She was so good, and I just remember being so impressed by her, and she was so young, and so I have been sort of following her ever since, and I love her music. She's, like, a delightful... I mean, previous to this documentary, I found her to be, like, seemingly sweet. I didn't know how dark things had gotten for her Mm. until I watched this documentary. She had talked about her mental health, and she had talked about her stays in rehabs and treatment centers and all of that, but I didn't quite understand. And now, but after watching this, I literally was like even more of a fan because I just felt really deeply for her. I feel a lot of empathy and sympathy for her after watching this. And speaking to her, she was very kind. And Mm -hmm. also, I think she just seemed a bit... And I I don't want to say this in like a condescending way because I think when I was prepping for the interview, there are all these profiles of her that called her like, you just want to protect her. She seems so fragile. And I was going to ask her about that, this sort of characterization of her as someone who needs protecting and seen as a fragile figure. But she does seem not quite fragile but she just is like she just seems like she's still recovering she seems like she's still I think she would say this herself like she you can just tell that she's a little shaky Mm. but incredibly kind and willing to get into it which I appreciated I'm intrigued by everything you're saying about her because I think she's a really complex figure as a pop Mm -hmm. star especially for me and I think it'll be interesting to talk about this in the context of some of maybe the other docs we might bring up as plot points here but the thing about Selena and we got into this a little also on the episode about her is that her pop music career feels very tangential somehow to like the celebrity of Selena Gomez like it's almost incidental or something yes and that's one of the things that I think almost separates this film from some of the other pop docs that center around granting credibility to these artists in various ways, whether I'm thinking about Taylor's documentary, always making sure to highlight her songwriting, and Gaga Mm -hmm. does that a lot too, or Beyonce's centering, and many of them centering live performances as interstitials between sort of the doc footage. Selena's doc is interesting because I think what you do mainly walk away from it with is the idea that like her primary driving force in her work and in her life and in her celebrity is somehow being this voice for mental health. Like that is like what the centerpiece of her celebrity sort of hinges on, which feels like a really modern idea that like a celebrity or a pop star, the least important thing about them is the work. The work is really just like a platform for a message or something. And that's, I think, unique to Selena and unique to 2022 version of pop stardom somehow. A hundred percent. And she would say that, I think in the doc, she says many times, all she wants to do is disappear and do philanthropy, which I actually buy from her. Like that sounds like bullshit for a lot of people, but... (laughs) 
She seems like she hates being famous so much and is just using it as a platform to talk about the stuff that actually matters to her. My whole life since I was a kid, I've been working. I don't want to be like super famous, but I do know that if I'm here, I have to use that for good. It almost is like she's come out the other side of being a child star, realized how like shallow and horrible the whole fame experience is. And the director, Alec Kashishian, talks about this too in our interview. Says something like fame is a terrible force. And, mm. and the doc feels like uh, totally by itself in that way too. Like it doesn't feel like all these other docs that I was just rewatching. Absolutely. It feels really different from that. I mean, it's very dark, first of all, in a way that many of these modern docs, and I think it'll be interesting for us to contrast that with A Truth or Dare, are so sanctioned feeling and mm -hmm. so obvious that the artist and label had final cut that it renders them almost meaningless in terms of any sort of serious revelations about these people. Yes. And one of the funniest parts about them to me is, or many of them, is the ways that these celebrities like attempt to feign vulnerability or transparency, but actually give you basically none of it, which is like a common thread through a lot of them. But yes. this one leads with true darkness and not just like in a putting on a show of like, oh, I'm so emo and depressed, but like there's versions of Selena that appear in this documentary that feel truly almost unsavory in a way that I think most of these docs seem to avoid in the modern era. It really surprised me when I watched it. And I said that to them in my interview. I was like, this really feels different. And I, it doesn't mm -hmm. feel stage managed. And it mm -hmm. was kind of murky. Their answers were a little murky on how many times Selena or Alec were like, let's not film this. It seems like there were some moments where they yeah. stepped back. For yeah. sure. But what yeah. they did film, I was just really surprised. And it's just she lets herself get very dark in a way that when she talks about her suicidal ideation mm -hmm. and she talks about her stay in the mental facility the in like a very... The way that she yeah. would kind of like enter into an entirely different persona that she wouldn't recognize in the morning and be cruel to people near yeah. to her. That's like a very pivotal scene, I feel like, in the film. I agree. It was really stunning. And it really made me feel for her. Like I said, I came away just wanting to hug her. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I didn't want to go to a mental health hospital. I didn't want to, but I didn't want to be trapped in myself, in my mind anymore. I thought my life was over. I was like, this is how I'm going to be forever. That's why I say to people that I have the greatest friends and family, especially my mom and my stepdad, Brian, because I shouldn't have spoken to them the way that I did. I shouldn't have treated them the way that I did sometimes. <laughs> and then they know it wasn't me. So then when I wake up the next day, they're like, they tell me what happened, but they they explain to me, they're like, look, I know that that's not you talking and we're really concerned and, you know, just know that we love you. We don't see anything different from what was last night to now. But if I talk about it to them, I just say it over and over again. You know, I say, I'm so sorry. Because I remember certain things that I did and I was really so mean. So, so maybe a good place for us to start on this, just for people that haven't watched the doc yet. How would you just sort of, in a broad strokes way, sum up the plot of what happens in my mind and me, essentially? Spoilers ahead. Yes, it's very fascinating, I think, because they started filming in 2016 and Selena reached out to Alec. So it must be said that he's her manager's brother. Mm -hmm. And he's obviously famous, most famous, at, we should say here, for directing yes. Madonna's Truth or Dare, the right. prototypical version of these documentaries. And I think the most successful 
successful documentary ever made, maybe? Is that not Never Say Never? Because I thought it was. So <laughs> or maybe up, up to a certain point. <laughs> so, be. so sad. At some point, this was the most successful documentary ever made. I'll put it that way. I but guess... also, I think, still seen as the gold standard of these docs. For sure. Oh, Truth or Dare is incredible. So she reached out to him and was like, let's do a tour doc. And she says she wanted to do something more shallow, more like Never Say Never, more like Katy Perry's doc. And then she sort of had a breakdown on tour and then spent right. the next two years. This was in 2015 during the revival tour. During the revival tour. So they filmed for, I think, a few weeks. And then he says he realized, okay, like, this is not the right time. And she said she needed to cancel her tour. She said to me, I, you know, I was just really unwell. It wasn't the time. So they stepped away. And then she had two or three years of health struggles, physical and, and mental. And then I guess she reached out to him again in like 2018 or 2019 and said, do you want to come on this trip to Africa with me? And he said he was kind of sneaky and was like, can I film you a few days before? And then it just sort of turned into this larger thing. Of, and he said they both kind of realized this is not about her tour. This is not really about her career. It's about this mental health journey that she's on and sort of this ongoing struggle that she's having. And they really do. I mean, aside from a few moments that I think feel maybe a little bit forced, like the, yeah. I think the Kenya stuff feels a little bit strange mm -hmm. in places. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it feels very much like it's not promotional of Selena's career. It's not tied to anything specific. I mean, there is this, the new song, but eh. it's... <laughs> I think the less said about that, the better, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> Um, I, I liked how they like threaded the song throughout the doc yeah, and then right. you, it's like the reveal at the end but it really is just about unlike all of these other docs a lot of which I rewatched this week which feel like a specific thing that is being promoted I couldn't really figure out what was being promoted it was really just what it was which is I think admirable for a star at her level interesting and also links it back to Truth or Dare in that way because I think mm -hmm. that was pre this turning into such a sort of industrial complex around yeah. a promo for an album as you're pointing out i'm mm -hmm. interested also in the idea that selena is on this journey of self-discovery because i kind of feel like that highlights something about her and her career that is intriguing which is that i don't feel like she's ever quite and i think you got at this with your comments about her acting roles but i think it's true in her music it's very unclear kind of like who selena exactly is as an artist like i've never totally like felt clear about that and i think part of the fascination around her has been like watching her have to work backwards from like a immense fame into some sort of artistic identity or maybe even more accurately into what the fame is supposed to mean to her on a deeper level it's like yes she has hits and yes she's actually made some like interesting music but her overarching place in the pop star canon always just feels like really confusing to me because she's like the biggest celebrity she's got all of these instagram followers she's like the most followed person on instagram and yet as we sort of were talking about earlier it's like what is selena gomez as a pop star and like should she be a pop star which i think is one of the biggest questions that this documentary really raised for me and can and it's something i've wondered about but that was solidified for me watching this which is like is pop stardom what Selena Gomez wants to do, what she's best at doing, what she should be doing. That was something that I walked away even more haunted by than almost anything in this movie was like, does this girl know that she doesn't have 
to be a pop star. And especially at this point where it's like she can be successful doing other things like her TV shows, Selena and Chef. She's proven that she doesn't really need to be like doing arena tours, which she like obviously despises doing in this movie. But that's something I wonder about Disney kids and child stars in general that I think this movie raises as her as an interesting example of. It's like, do these kids, Brittany, I felt this way about also in the early 2010s through like her and her recent swing. I'm like, do they know that they don't have to keep doing this? I think she does. And I think part of the issue with her pop career that you've nailed is that she felt that ambivalence because you can see that ambivalence even in the tour portion, which is short. She seems really unhappy. And I think Mm -hmm. she wants to make music, but I don't think necessarily, maybe she just still doesn't know what type of movie she wants to make or she doesn't necessarily want to be a pop star or go on the, right, like go on these big arena tours. But she seems to hate the aspects of being a pop star that you need to do to be a pop star. Right. I felt the same way. And if we had had more time, I would have said to her, like, do you see a version of yourself that makes music but isn't a quote unquote pop star because you genuinely seem to hate that part of the job. She hates the promo. She hates the touring. Seems like a lot of it is very, very triggering and frustrating for her. And I wonder that with the Disney and Nickelodeon kids, save for like Ariana, still don't have like a point of view. Like I think Demi is always like, this is my most personal album yet. This is what I sound like. And actually, no, it's this is what I sound like. This is what I sound like. I think they all are just like a little confused because they were shoved into this life before they could figure out what they were trying to say. I think Demi's an interesting counterpart to her because I agree with you. She's another one that's fished around for a musical identity. I think Selena's got more of a musical identity than Demi, even though Demi is a much more bodily talented musician than Selena in most ways. Well, she's a better singer, yeah. Way better singer. And I also think Demi wants traditional pop stardom in a way that Selena doesn't. Like, she's more naturally suited for it, I think. Mm than Selena is. But what's interesting about both of them, and maybe this is an interesting window into Demi, who also released a doc, I think last year, or a docu-series on YouTube, they both have fallen back on actually their stardom hinging much more on these stories about their mental health struggles than their musical output. I mean, Demi, you could argue, has a similar sort of thing going on where it's like she's put out, at least her last two records feel like they've hardly registered outside of her core fan base, but she remains like a super famous person, mainly because of like the narratives that surround her related to her mental health. So I feel like in a certain way, they really are twin flames in that way. And they both released documentaries and I don't know if you've watched Demi's, but it was one of the more disturbing ones in a way that I don't know. Like, like I think Selena's was intentionally in her control. Like she wanted it to be dark and disturbing. Demi's, I think, which was like a series of like eight episodes she put out on YouTube was supposed to feel redemptive and instead felt kind of like, girl, don't do this kind of vibes. But yeah. it's interesting to posit them as like sort of twin flames because they really came from the same place. And they used to be best friends. It's just right. a classic, it's a classic sort of Shakespearean tale. <laughs> but I do think... <laughs> But I do think Demi, so Demi has put out a few docs. And I think the last doc, she said in her doc before that, she'd been lying about being sober. Right. So there's like a level of performative, weird stuff going on there too, where it's like, well, how do we know you're not doing that now? And why are you choosing to keep releasing these documentaries? I had a photo shoot. And I remember being at the photo shoot and just thinking to myself, like, I don't even know why I'm sober anymore. Like, I am so miserable. Um, I'm not happy. I have all this stuff that I'm dealing with. I picked up a bottle of red wine that night, and it wasn't even 30 minutes before I called someone that I knew had drugs on them. Demi, for me, I, I always feel a little more confused about what is sort of driving her decision to continually release these really, really hyper-personal documentaries. Yes, agree. And music, actually. I feel the same way yeah. about that because I sort of feel like every single one is posited as a like, no, this time I'm actually being raw and vulnerable at this. No, right. this time I'm actually getting sober. No, this time I'm actually... like. I feel like we've been stuck in that 
narrative loop with Demi's music and in terms of how she presents her celebrity in these documentaries, like for 10 years or something like that. And then there's something very like twisted and fascinating about the fact that right now her musical persona is right back where she started. Right, right. But there's a certain like trauma porn aspect to Demi's approach that like has always really bugged me. Like I think it's coming from a genuine place, but I feel like she's stuck in this pop star mode of like, I need to use my pain and trauma to create a musical identity and create a celebrity persona. And it feels craven, not in the sense that I think she's using it. Like she's sitting in a boardroom being like, how can I make money off of this? But like, again, another thing of like these girls who grew up or these people that grew up in this system, like they don't know how to not exploit these kind of things. Right. That is what their life and careers have been. Selena, though, I have to say, in contrast to Demi, as you were sort of pointing out earlier, like, I don't think she comes across in this at all as if she would be doing this unless she really felt like it was helping other people. The thing about Selena that I walked away from, which is, I think, interesting maybe to share my trajectory of, like, what I rewatched yesterday, because I watched five of these in a row yesterday. Like, I just <laughs> sat on the couch and just, like, I did that on Sunday. But, yeah, I just, like, <laughs> mowed through a bunch of them. I want to hear which ones you watched. Yeah. <laughs> I watched Part of Me. The Katy Perry doc from 2011. Uh I watched part of Life is But a Dream, the documentary Beyonce made about herself in 2013, which we can get into is one of the most bizarre films I've ever seen in my entire life. I agree. I have so much to say. Yeah. When I watched that, I was like, oh, this is why she hasn't spoken in public again since this happened. Then I watched Truth or Dare, which I was only intending to rewatch because I've seen it probably 20 times. But every single time I turned on, I, of course, got sucked in. I was like, oh, I'll watch this for 20 minutes just to like, get a refresher on the vibe. And of course, was just like completely spellbound as I am every time I watch that movie. It's perfection. Perfection. And I think there's a lot of reasons why it's the most effective one of these still to this day mm-hmm. that we will definitely dig into. And then I watched Gaga five foot two or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. And then I watched Selena's later in the evening. And there was such a notable difference to me in how Selena comes across versus all of the other women I just talked about. I was almost like ill after the first four from just the sheer ego tripping of the other four. Me too. Like I almost felt like I had to like meditate because I was just like, there's like a toxic energy, even though I love them. And like, of course I worship these women in so many ways. I was like, if I see another scene of them acting like totally egomaniacal and crazy and everyone around them just sort of yesing every weird, bizarre, crazy thing that they do and the sort of imbalance in every single one of their relationships and how twisted and weird it feels, I'm literally going to puke. Like I left those four feeling like fame is evil. But on the flip side, I always get brought back in by these like performance (laughs) videos or like watching their magic in the studio or how talented they are. And I'm like, damn, like, all right, cool, whatever. You can be like an egomaniacal nightmare bitch, but like you are <laughs> fucking slay mama diva, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like I just completely, but like Selena had the opposite feeling, which is like, it had none of the sort of magic of pop stardom thing going on. She doesn't have that. Like when she's performing on the revival tour, I'm like, oh, but like it's never has that feeling that like when you're watching Madonna perform Vogue and the Blonde Ambition tour, but yet she's the most grounded pop celebrity I think I've ever seen in my entire life. I yes. guess that's what, that's the, my long winded way of getting that sentence out. No, she is. I totally agree with you. And I, wa- I watched everything you watched. And then I added Billy and yes, which I, li- which I really liked, yes. but I did feel ill after ingesting all of those <laughs> documentaries. And I was struck by the fact that like, so Katy Perry, oh, and I watched Justin Bieber. 
Oh, good. That was, that, that was the next on my list if I had had time. A chilling document, <laughs> just a chilling cultural document and like unintentionally so. Yes, and I was course. like, would I rather watch that, which is just is horrifying and makes me ill in its own special way or like mm-hmm. Life is But a Dream, which is again, you're right. It's bizarre. It's like a ludicrous. Ludicrous. It's a ludicrous document. And it's like both made me feel some type of way. And I don't know which way I would rather feel. <laughs> but I found Beyonce is like mostly kind of boring. I was I. I well, went back to it and I was like, this is so, nothing is being said or happening. <laughs> well, let's go a little bit chronologically here. So as we mentioned yes. earlier, My Mind and Me is the culmination slash maybe pivot point of a recent swing of these docs that began, I think, with Never Say Never, which are like mm-hmm. these new versions of these celebrity docs where it's kind of become de rigueur for every pop star to have one of these things. They have to yeah. put them out. They, As you said, they're usually like perfectly timed with some sort of new album release and they're very sort of celebrity narrative driven. Like I find that they usually are there to provide the celeb themselves sanctioned corrective to some sort of narrative. Yeah. Whether it's trying to prove their actual talent or their sort of ability to like being the driving force in their pop career, whether like Taylor, you're trying to correct this political abstinence narrative or whatever the fuck her mm-hmm. problem. Like they all have like a really clear purpose that these like Machiavellian celebrities and the machines around them are like attempting to like put across. <laughs> For Beyonce, that perhaps that she is a human being that like has a personality. <laughs> That's the narrative she's trying to correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the mother of these all and the thing that connects my mind and me to the beginning of these canonical pop star docs is that it's directed by Al Kashishian who directed Truth or Dare. Now, Truth or Dare came out, for anyone that hasn't seen it, I don't know what you're doing with your life if you're listening to this podcast and you have not watched this film. It is (laughs) truly one of the greatest films I've ever seen in my life. It captures Madonna at the peak of her success on the Blonde Ambition Tour in 1990, just after Like a Prayer, just after Vogue, peak Madonna as the most culturally saturating pop figure of all time, probably at that exact moment. And she is portrayed in the movie in a way that makes you feel like she did not have final cut on this thing, which I think is one of like the things that really makes it beyond just her once in a generation star quality makes it so spellbounding. You get something essential about her. You come out of that movie understanding something really core about her that you don't ever get in any other context. She's petulant. She's a fucking bitch the entire movie. She's so (laughs) egomaniacal. It is beyond comprehension. And the movie really captures that in a kind of unpretty way, but in doing so also captures the essence of what makes her the most iconic, incredible star, celebrity, pop star, maybe of all time. Not Mm -hmm. to mention that you get all of these candid moments with family members of hers and old friends that just reveal so much about what makes her who she is, where her drive comes from, and the rest of it. So you are totally clear by the end of this movie, like what makes this woman tick and why she was irresistible in this moment. And like, that's the thing. It's like you come away loving her because yes. you see her like raw pain. Yes. And exactly. it is kind of devastating. She, you know, you see her like so desperate for her father's approval. You yes. see her talking about her mother's death when she was so young. And it all comes out in her every minute. Like yeah. all of that trauma and pain just is there at every moment for her. And it's sad. And she's also so charming in her petulance. Do you really like them? What do you think People Magazine's going to say? <laughs> I remember when I told Warren to bring me a present. He did. He brought me this really cool shirt from Dolce & Gabbana. See, I get what I want. Yeah, may I speak to Warren Beatty, please? 
gives me that faith. Warren, you're supposed to be here. It's 5.30. If you don't get over here and now, I'm leaving without you, you know. I did too. I never said that. A hundred percent. There's so many great moments that I always remember coming back to it. Like when Kevin Costner comes in and calls the tour neat <laughs> and then she turns around and like sticks her finger in her mouth. Like so good. it's so good. She's also like so witty and there's yeah. something really warm about her, even in the midst of all of this petulance. Like she's so And she's so smart. So smart. And I, I texted Russ when I was rewatching it and I was like, she is uncommonly cerebral yes. for a pop figure. And you know what's yeah. really interesting that I thought was a intriguing thing that I got from a lot of the docs that are not her? This is like so tangential, but it really plays into like what made Madonna so like fascinating during this period, obviously was like her interplay with and her sort of how she interfaced with her religious background, right? Like that was like such a huge mm -hmm. part of Madonna's superstardom throughout her career, but like really on this tour, I mean, this tour gets into like a lot of blasphemous imagery and sort of all the things we know about Madonna that she like she loved to like sort of blow up her Catholicism and be pushing buttons on that front she gets banned by the Vatican performing in Rome or whatever one thing that I thought to myself that's if this is kind of tangential but I think maybe interesting is that I really feel like for 89% of pop stars this is not a scientific number having <laughs> some sort of deeply held belief in God is what allows them to be successful because I think oh my god they, yeah so many of them clearly are like deeply religious Selena Beyonce, I think Britney is this way. I'm trying. Katie is most definitely this way. Justin oh, Bieber sure. is this way. I mean, they believe that they are on some sort of biblical destiny-driven journey to be these yes. people. And that is like what gets them through what is a very, very difficult and hard to achieve career path. It's almost like you have to be delusional. Right. Except Madonna's religious only to her own self in this weird way. Like she <laughs> like she's her own religion, but like she's yeah. separate from them in the in this specific way where she's one of the only people that I feel like relies more on her intellect than on her religious godly beliefs to get through pop stars. And I think that that was just something interesting that I just kind of tangentially, but maybe related, walked away from this like glut of docs that I watched the other day feeling like, like I was like, okay, you got to blindly like have a lot of faith to get to where most of these people get to. Yeah. And I think to convince yourself that what you're doing is important or right. matters in some way, not to say that it doesn't, but I think that like, right, to get through the day to day of the sort of gauntlet of what this life entails, there mm -hmm. does have to be a level of, oh, and Taylor in Miss Americana talks about, I think she's, she's like, I'm a Christian as well. Right. You're right. Right. Really basic human rights, and it's right and wrong at this point, and I can't see another commercial and see her disguising these policies behind the words Tennessee Christian values. Those aren't Tennessee Christian values. I live in Tennessee. I am Christian. That's not what we stand for. Yeah, and it's like the gauntlet and also the justification of the egomaniacalness of the whole thing. Yes, like I yes. think that that's how they all deal with that. I mean, the thing about so many of these docs and Madonna's is certainly this way is that, as I was mentioning, it's like it is sickening on some level to watch everybody that is feeding off of them. Like the mm -hmm. dynamics of their relationships are so fucked up. Like they, yeah. I kept thinking this in Selena's doc with, so Selena has like these, this group of omnipresent friends that's like in Selena and Chef. And like, 
someone needs to make a documentary about the best friends of pop stars who's like the professional job is to be their bffs like yes what is their story like i'm so intrigued by selena's that girly that like just goes with her everywhere like, does that girly have a job like what does she do does and selena they all pay have her? people like that like whether they're their make i have to know i think she yeah. lives in selena's house if selena and chef is to be believed but like is she on the payroll i really want to know about that specifically like, like what's their dynamic because she's traveling with her and i think selena really needs her like it's I, apparently there's been some weird online criticism of raquel i haven't followed any of it but someone just mentioned this to me the other day and i was like oh i I think she's like the only person telling it like it is to Selena and totally. Her life. And unlike that was another thing that separated these docs. Everyone around the other celebrities in these documentaries, from Truth or Dare on, mm-hmm. is such a sycophant. And there's oh, yeah. noted scenes in this movie. Now, notable for me, there's never a scene where Selena is helping that girl. There's never a scene where like that girl's having a problem and like Selena is there for her. Now, I don't know if that's just a function <laughs> of this being a documentary about Selena Gomez, sure, but that would be an interesting thing to know about Selena Gomez. Like, I yeah. actually would have liked to have seen a scene of that because that would have again broken with the pop star tropes that you see in a lot of these other films but at the same time this girl definitely feels carte blanche to like criticize selena in like pretty biting and smart ways in ways that you like almost never see anyone around any of the other celebs no and no other doc and i was like thank god she has her because i think she keeps her sane you know we have marissa's birthday dinner night we get back Dean I would give back. No, I'd rather do what I'm doing. I'm not going to that. I have to do shoot a music video the next day. Nice. Just thought you would want to come. I would, but I'm not going to have one day to adjust. Do you think that I'm complaining about my job? Yeah, you felt, you sounded like you were. Not at all. Raquel was saying I need to get rest. Not like it's a bad thing. Of course no, it's not I a bad thing at all. I was the, the way that you said it's not what you said. So I, I was not complaining about work. I was mm-hmm. literally just complaining that it'd be nice if I get more sleep. <clears throat> you think I'm ungrateful for it? No, I don't think you're ungrateful. I just feel like you've been so ups, like down kind of the past couple of days. So I just, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. We had the most amazing week. I'm just waking up. You've heard me tell everybody how much I love London. Mm-hmm. What else do you want from me? Nothing. I just was asking, are you good? Because you don't seem happy. I'm having fun. Good. I'm so happy you're having fun. It doesn't seem like it to me. So I was just asking you. So <laughs> Raquel can be like bitchy to Selena and Selena just she'll like bite back a little bit but I'm like every famous person should have a Raquel just yes. telling them when they're acting crazy Selena doesn't even act that egregiously she'll just no. like get frustrated with press or get a little sad yeah, or, you there's know, certain moments where you're like I don't know I found that there were certain like the press thing is so funny there's a great sequence that Rachel's referencing in the movie where she's like having to do promo for Rare her record that came out in 2020 in Europe and she is absolutely like rolling her eyes back into the back of her skull at some of the dumb questions that she has to answer. It's one well, of the funniest really sequences dumb. in the film. It's but actually one of the are... times where her true, as you were mentioning, her comic timing really comes yeah. out. Like she's genuinely hilarious in her distaste for what is going on. Like, But the questions are horrific. They are. <laughs> they are. Literally they are. this one person says to her, one DJ, one word, marshmallow. And she yeah. just replies, fluffy. Like, I'm like, what the hell is this? What the hell is this? What, and she addressed her what it in her, her favorite interview. color is. Yeah. 
In her, in the interview, she was like, don't be nervous to ask me questions. It was very cute. She was like, I don't hate all press. I don't even hate any press. It was just like a really dark few yeah, days. Yeah, I'm glad that you asked about that, actually. I thought that was yeah. a good question to ask her because it was. <laughs> it is ironic that one of the most notable sequences in my mind and me is her basically hating doing exactly what she was doing with you. Right, exactly. I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it's one of the things that I think separates my mind and me and Selena from these other docs, which is that clearly there's something fundamentally different about Selena as a pop figure mm-hmm. than all of these other women. And I think it speaks to what we were getting at earlier, which is like, is she a pop star? Is she meant to be a pop star? Like, it kind of feels like, I think that egomania makes a lot of what we like about the pop stars too. Like, yeah, yeah. Like their epic sense of needing to control every single thing about how they appear and the fact that they like think they have the best ideas about everything, like with the good ones seems to manifest a lot of good shit. It's like, yes, is Madonna completely the queen of her queen? and nobody can say anything that disagrees with her or whatever. Yes, but like, look what came out of that. Like some of the most epic moments in pop history, whereas like Selena's never been able to like get an epic moment in pop history, but seems like a more grounded, normal person who can have people around her to like keep her. And like, not for nothing, but like we see how Madonna is at the current moment. And I think that like, you know, maybe that's how some of that shit, who that seems so effective when you're at the peak of your powers can curdle when you're not so much at the peak of your powers anymore. Really good point. Really good. And I think, right, it is an either or. I really don't think you can have both like a groundedness and a humanity and like a major pop stardom. And I think at some point you kind of have to choose. And if you don't, maybe you end up in whatever phase Madonna is in right now. I really wish someone could define that phase for you. I, but, I don't even have a word. Well, it's like, I actually was thinking during Truth or Dare, like, I'm so glad that she didn't have Instagram because they make a comment in it that I thought was very telling about Madonna's Instagram era, which is like, at some point she's she's dating Warren Beatty at the time and she's get like a doctor is checking out her throat. Like she's having some sort of vocal strain from, from touring. And like the doctor says something to her, like, do you want to talk to me off camera? And Warren Beatty is like, she doesn't want to do anything off camera. Like, that, did it even which happen if it's off camera? <laughs> which is rich for Warren fucking baby. I'm like, you throwing glass stones or throwing stones from your glass house, Warren baby. Like. Yeah. But I thought it was very telling about Madonna. Like, I'm glad she didn't have Instagram in that era because yeah. even as much as she always has been like a glutton for attention, I think it was mitigated by the fact that she had to get it in these very old school ways. Mm-hmm. Like, she wasn't able, like, who knows? Maybe we would have found Madonna irritating faster if she had had Instagram in 1990 or something like that. Anyway, right, right. Let's talk about Bieber, Never Say Never, and Katy Perry's Part of Me, which kind of are like the two sort of like big boom moments in the modern pop doc. You were saying that Bieber's movie, which I think is really the first in this, it was released in theaters. And I think it was the success of that movie is what set off a lot of these pop stars doing these docs. Why did you find it so chilling when you watched it this time? Oh, I like feel it in my soul. I mean, (laughs) so he's like 15 or 16. And it's also notable that he doesn't do any interviews, like direct to camera interviews and like a lot of these other ones. He's just like a figure. Mm. And he seems like so unhappy, but he's, achieve this thing he allegedly wanted one year earlier he was on the streets of Ontario busking or whatever right. and now he's doing this stadium tour all over the world and then he's like trying to fill up Madison Square Garden and he whatever it's like all these adults all these creepy adults <laughs> just sucking him dry and he's this child I mean it really reminded me of the other two which I love that oh, just like a Bieber 100% <laughs> the other two is like based on Never Say Never it basically. is yeah 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 and it, having seen the other two and with the distance from I, I don't remember if I saw this when it first came out. I've yeah, never been a, a I huge did. I believer. Think, I think I've only watched it that one time when I saw it when it first came out. But I think it's interesting because it was presented as like, look at this kid from the middle of nowhere achieving his dreams. You too could do this. Mm-hmm. And what it actually is is a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, about like the evils of child stardom. 
It's horrible. I mean, yeah. especially once you know what happened to him after. Totally. Where, like, he suffered in a lot of different ways with his mental health. He had all these weird controversies. He had his weird Hillsong era. Like, he has had just a series of missteps and weirdness since then. And, and it's just like watching that retroactively. You're like, knowing what's to come. It is truly well, <laughs> not correct fun me, to watch. No. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what I remember about that and speaking a little bit about sort of what I was saying earlier about these docs in the modern era, like, really trying to serve like a narrative purpose or like a commercial purpose for these artists. I kind of remember one of the things that that doc was driving home was like, Justin Bieber is not a product. It, it was attempting to drive home. He is really naturally talented. This is not something that has been manufactured by a Svengali or a record label or whatever. Like this is just a kid with pure talent that got picked out of obscurity and is now a pop star. And I think that that is something that links this film with a lot of the docs that come after it, but also particularly with Part of Me, which I watched yesterday, which came out, I think, maybe the next year or like soon after that and was a clearly like a sequel to it in some ways, which yeah. is Katy Perry at the peak of the Teenage Dream era. So like the peak of her success, she's on tour for that record. And I also thought that doc was also trying to drive home that point really, really squarely, which was that Katy Perry was seen as a cipher. She was seen as a product of Max Martin, Dr. Luke, and all of her producers, and everything was so frothy and like so campily pure pop in this very specific way that the doc really, I felt like, especially in the first half of it, is really trying to drive home like Katy is this ambitious musician who was inspired by Alanis Morissette and like tenaciously knocked on Glenn Ballard's door and like made rock albums with The Matrix. The, both of those movies and I think a lot of these films, that is like a huge intention behind them is like, mm. th they're like weirdly in this almost like oxymoronic way, the most obvious label product this, these documentaries yes. are that are attempting to prove that the stars at the center of them are not label product. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's why you leave feeling sick because yeah. you feel like you, you're just like gaslit to hell for two hours. And it's just it's very confusing. I have to say, I did not like Katy Perry. I hadn't seen Katy Perry's because I, oh, I mean, never. you know, from my yeah. from my wedding request, yeah. I was like, just don't play Katy Perry. But I love Teenage Dream. I still to this day, I'm like, what is she trying to say? What's her point of view? What, what sets her? But isn't it interesting how the doc like tries to make it seem like yeah. that is her entire thing? I mean, the doc is constantly like, has clips of all of her fans being like, I love Katy Perry because of the messages and vulnerability yeah. of her music. And it's like, which is that you're a firework? <laughs> that you feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind wanting to start again? I mean, right. come on, what? What the hell? And the positing of her as like an Alanis disciple is so bizarre to me because I'm like, she has none of the raw edge of like no. what made Alanis Morissette fascinating. Like she's the opposite of that. Like, in fact, right. the real story of Katy Perry, if that was her intention to begin with, was to be some version of an Alanis type singer, songwriter, rock chick, is that she was completely willing to toss that in the trash for pop stardom, essentially. Exactly. That is fascinating. And like that in and of itself would make an interesting documentary. But unfortunately, they were like, no, this is her truth. It's kind of like we were saying with Demi. And there's a difference between what Madonna did wherein she continuously reinvented herself in ways that felt purposefully false and purposefully mm, oh, performative. Yeah. Right. And as we said, quite cerebral and like original. And very thoughtful. Yes. And whereas like the new girlies are like shedding personas constantly trying to figure out what they're trying to say and none of them have really come to a conclusion at all. Or trying to just basically follow her blueprint as the kind of canonical yes. modern pop yes. star. Like just sort of doing the karaoke version of the Madonna trajectory. Exactly. Exactly. And Taylor actually addresses that in Miss Americana. I rewatched that one too and she 
talks about how you have to constantly reinvent yourself as a shiny new toy or whatever. And I don't know if that's true. I mean, I think about, again, I'm a big Ariana stan. Like, right. I love, love, love her. Well, you're a vocalist, so that makes sense. Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> Louis heard me do karaoke Evanescence at my it, wedding. <laughs> I, I like, I don't know what to say except that like you literally blew my fucking song. Like everyone's <laughs> getting up there and being like sheerly embarrassing as karaoke should be. And then you got up and like gave in like American Idol worthy performance. Oh and I was my just God, like, please. You're going to Hollywood. No, no, no. No, I uh, thank you so much. Yeah. But I love Ariana. <laughs> and she has, I think, tweaked her style a little bit. And she definitely has changed her. There's a lot of sort of controversy around the way she has become <laughs> tan and untan. But outside of that, her music has been very consistent. Oh, yeah. And it become increasingly deep, which I think is the yes. other thing. Like, she has effectively done what a lot of pop stars aspired and failed to, and which Katy Perry certainly failed to do, which was aspiring to reveal increasing layers of depth while retaining the core essence of, like, what people like about you in the first yes. place. And that's what yeah. Katy Perry's famously flopped with, with, like, Witness, for instance. Oh, oh my God, Witness. Also, fuck Katy Perry, because she was promoting Rick Caruso this week. I mean, we don't have any impetus to be nice to Katy Perry. Like, no. literally. I, for I, that particular reason. Like, I feel so vindicated in everything I've ever thought and felt about her. I think what's really interesting about maybe like a little bit about what you're getting at here is, and what, what I kind of want to ask you is, in thinking of Madonna as kind of like the prototype for this, like how are these documentaries both like kind of playing off the tropes that were established in Truth or Dare, but also like missing some of the essence of what made that movie tick? Madonna, it seems like genuinely just being herself all the time with the camera right. on, right. you know, like you said, warts and all, in a way that I truly believe she probably was horrified by when she watched the documentary. Uh, she must have been. She must have. I want to know what she thinks about it now, though. I'm curious what she thinks about it looking back. There was a recent quote from Alec where he was talking about like, he asked for Final Cut and he said, I don't know what possessed me at that young age to say to her, I'm going to need to have all access in Final Cut. But I can picture her saying yes to that in a way that like I couldn't picture it. Like, because she was very iconoclastic in certain ways and she believed yeah. in art above all else. Like that is Madonna's thing. Like, yes, she's right. a commerce-driven pop star, but Madonna really saw herself as an artist and I think has respect for art in a way yeah. that would allow her to be like, yeah, you can have Final Cut on this, even as like one of Pop's great egomaniacs in history, <laughs> you know? Well, I think also, obviously, it was a different time for pop stars, too. Right. And there wasn't pop crave, you know, right. tw <laughs> tweeting to millions of people every day, like the one thing you said right. that was like slightly off or whatever. Right. But I feel like these movies try to manufacture some of those moments, I guess, exactly. is what I'm getting at. No, that's what I was just going to say, is that you can tell that they're not. I mean, especially in Katie. Katie's is the most benign, like, the Russell Brand moment, I'm like, okay, fine, but... The iconic moment Katy Perry cries, then goes on stage, like, that yeah. everyone's always tweeting about. It, it is a really interesting little moment. That That is by far the most fascinating part of the it's film. Fa it's the best part of the movie, and it's the only part I liked. It's mm -hmm. a, it, I was like, oh, let's do more yes. of this. You have two options. Cancel the show, or you can do your best. Start, Todd. But it's just ironic what you were getting at, too, is this idea that, like, Madonna showed her full... Spectrum. Yeah, and she comes across as both unlikable and incredibly likable at the same time. Where And I think Selena did a very similar thing. It wasn't truth or dare level, but it was very raw. Right. And then all these other docs, you, you they're trying to stage manage and they can just feel the like the market testing and it come they come across as hollow and you just don't care. And, and so there's something lost. Yes, it's complete fluff 
posing as depth as I think that's what mm-hmm. you were getting at earlier is what creates kind of this icky dissonance in watching so many of these like yeah it's it feels like they're wanting to say to you like no you're getting something real here and you're yeah. like but I'm <laughs> feel underfed it's like someone being right. like you just ate a cheeseburger and you're like but I'm starving you know yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's got that vibe going on and I think that's an interesting foray maybe into this like quickly talking a bit more about the Beyonce one which came out oh. in 2013 which is the height of insane egomania in the sense that like she literally directed the movie about herself and it shows I mean the movie is fascinating to me only in the sense that as a document of what a child star thinks passes for rawness and vulnerability and how bizarre that comes out in the wash that was like what I walked away from life is but a dream thinking this time why did God give me this life Sometimes it's overwhelming. Why did God give me my talent, my gift, my family? But I know you're not supposed to question God. So I'm grateful for the life he's given me. I'm so grateful. I'm alive and I'm... Living a dream. I'm living my dreams. Yeah, I again, I was bored, and I was. And there are a few moments where she's, you know, she talks about her pregnancy and her miscarriage, and I, I respect all of that. But I walked away from it thinking, who the hell is Beyonce? Which is still I how I think we all feel. It's so funny because we just did this whole in depth series on her, and I like obviously felt like a deeper level of respect for her art than of I course. even ever she's... had felt before. But this movie reminded me, twenty five years into this person's career and being one of the most preeminent public figures of our lifetimes, I still really feel like I have almost no gauge on like what she's really like as a person and this movie only like highlighted that for me like even more I was just like who is this woman like what who is she what is her personality like and like it's almost as I said like fascinating in a way that I'm sure she didn't intend it which is like is this what she thinks having a personality is like or having like you know what I mean like it has that weird patina to it to me absolutely and especially the one time she gets animated is when she's talking about God she, when she start, says, Back I feel like I, I'm sweating. I'm so hot talking uh-huh. about God. Like she actively like begins sweating, talking about how much, she, how much she believes God is real. Yes. I don't know why I'm so fortunate and so blessed. And I know that my mom always told me that my grandmother was in the church lighting candles and praying for her. And I am a result of my grandmother's prayers. And my mother prays for me all the time. And I pray for my daughter all the time. And God is real. And God lives inside of me and inside of all of us. And it doesn't matter where I am. I know that and I feel it. Like right now, I'm hot. You know, I, it's a tingling. It's like, it's love. It's I feel it when I. I don't know. It. I don't know, man. Well, I mean, I, I'm I, Jewish. I, like I know you are. Too. It's like, I just don't understand. No, but it really goes back to my pre. I really do think feeling as though you're an apostle of God is yeah. something that drives 
the vast majority of these people to their success. Like I really Absolutely. do. I, it was something I really felt strongly about in almost every single one of these documentaries. It creates this really particular fortitude and also ability to accept that you're the center of attention in a way that's extraordinarily unnatural. It's a galvanizing force. Again, you learn more about Beyonce in that 30 second elevator video than you do for oh. this entire two hour documentary. I know. And in that way, it is, it's not remotely as upsetting as Never Say Never, but it is upsetting in the sense that you, to your point, I wonder if she thinks that documentary as revealing or not. Does she understand that it's not? Right. I know. That's re- that's kind of the question. I think at the time, she really did. Like, she's doing these bizarre kind of direct to her computer camera, like, confessional moments that feel like bad audition self-tapes. And, like, yeah. I think she felt at the time. All right. This is, it was interesting. I was thinking back at that moment in her career. This is pre-visual album. So it's pre-Beyonce's reinvention as this grade A artiste album artist that she's become in the last 10 years. And she was in a bit of a floundering moment. It was like four Mm -hmm. was not a particularly successful album for her. There was kind of a new generation of girlies that had really taken center stage. She felt a little bit old hat. I remember at that moment, like that was the peak of the Gaga, Katie, Mm. Ariana's record had just come out. I mean, there was definitely like a new generation on the wave that was sort of usurping Mm. her that were more social media literate, that were able to be more revelatory, that felt more real and tangible to people in the way that most pop stars have to be these days. So I think she was under pressure at that moment to kind of go against her intuition, which is to be really cagey and sort of mysterious. And she, the documentary felt to me like a product of one of the rare moments in Beyonce's career where she was like, I've got to do something truly outside of my comfort zone, which is to be a person in front of other people. That is so interesting. I don't, I did not remember that context. It's hard for me to remember a time when she wasn't Beyonce, Beyonce. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not as if she was like a flop or anything, but it de- right. I remember for feeling like a, an underperformer. There were no real hit singles from it. It was mm. it was her lowest selling, lowest debuting and lowest selling album. So I wonder if that was like kind of the last time she ever did anything to be like, I need to shore up my commercial prowess in a way that feels like unnatural and comfortable to like what I'm actually good at. And, mm-hmm. you know, as I said to you before we started recording, like I understand why she's never spoken in public again since this movie. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't need to. Like, that's the thing, too, is I was pondering the existence of these in the first place. I was right. like, I don't really Good want question. these. I don't yeah. really, do we really need them? Yeah. But they we're given them and we're told that there's something that they're not. And that's infuriating in and of itself. Truly. I was also rewatching Ariana's tour doc and I yeah. was like, which is like, which is mostly just a performance piece, right? Right. And that's fine. Like, I enjoy watching it. It's a, she's a great performer. Her vocals yeah. are incredible. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know. I mean, as a stan, I'm like secretly like, I want to know every single thing she's doing at all times. Right. But like in a normal, you know, unfrightening way. But, um, <laughs> But, like, I don't need necessarily more from any of these people. So, like, either give us the truth or dare, give us the my mind and me, or give us just the straight tour doc. I don't appreciate the pretense that it's something deep. Well, and thinking about Beyonce in particular, it's like, on the flip side of Life is But a Dream is Homecoming, the most, like, spectacular piece of live footage that ever existed. So it's like, I'm tempted to say, like, are there certain pop stars for whom this could serve? And it's just not all of them. Like, you were saying you liked Billy's, for instance. What did you like about Billy's? Well, Billy's felt incredibly raw as well. Like, Mm -hmm. I was really surprised. I'm not necessarily a Billie Eilish fan. I like her. I I just don't know a ton about her. Yeah. And I came away liking her more. Similarly, I mean, she behaves bradley and she lets herself be unlikable. And there's a lot of stuff where she makes very obvious 
teenager mistakes. And But at the same time, I, again, much like what we're talking about, that rawness and that unlikability made me like her more. And I was impressed by her and it didn't feel as PRE as the other ones. You're going to go that dark with this song? Are you seriously implying that you jump off the roof? Do you feel okay about a song like that? You don't worry about that? I feel like it's something I want to have said. You don't worry Th about This it. song is the reason I don't. Like having this way of saying it instead of doing it is better. I agree. I think that that's really... Maybe the key more than like these don't have a purpose for existing is like it sort of depends on what type of star you are and like how willing mm -hmm. you are to really let it all hang out in a specific way. And I think maybe mm -hmm. what we're done with is these docs where the stars are so micromanagey that you just lose everything in the process. But then at the same time, I'm like, I feel like Miss Americana was like a really effective piece of PR for Taylor in many ways Absolutely. and did help her pivot the narrative around the political stuff. And she was in a bit of like a troubling spot following reputation, I think. And similarly to Beyonce, it's like, interestingly, yes. actually, there's a parallel there, which was that in the same way that four felt like a bit of a flounder for her, I think reputation felt similarly to Taylor. And that paired with her sort of behavior during the 2016 election was a rare moment where the armor got pierced from an incredibly yes. Machiavellian pop star. <laughs> yeah. So I do wonder if maybe these documentaries come into play as almost like a savior, like as a way to kind of like reform the narrative in a way that like perhaps just music couldn't do on its own or something like that. That's a really good point. And I did see, I saw Miss Americana, I remember at Sundance and I was like really sleep deprived. Like when you see something at a film festival, yeah. you're like barely conscious and right. you're like near tears at all times. Yeah. And so I remember being really moved by it. It was like one in the morning. I was like, oh my God, she had an eating disorder. Like yeah. this poor girl, you know. Yeah, I really liked it when I first watched it too. So I'm curious yeah. how, you, how it struck you differently this time. Well, I just could see the strings this time. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I see exactly what, like you said, her political awakening, the writing of the song. And there were moments that I think were genuine. And I really respect the fact that she talks about this obsession she has with being seen as good and being seen mm. as this certain type of moral person. Like, that was very interesting to me. I, I was kind of surprised that she admitted all of that. You know, my entire moral code as a kid and now is a need to be thought of as good. That's dangerous. That's not... It was all I wrote about. It was all I wanted. It was the complete and total belief system that I subscribed to as a kid. Do the right thing. Do the good thing. And obviously I'm not a perfect person by any stretch, but overall the main thing that I always tried to be was, um, like, just like a good girl. They have to give just enough. You you always get that yeah. sense of like, somehow in a board meeting around the creation of these movies, they go like, what's the thing you're gonna like say yeah. that feels just edgy enough, but still safe that like makes this feel like we're gonna get some headlines around this. Like Taylor Swift admits eating disorder or whatever, right, you know, right. like that kind right. of thing. Right, Beyonce admits miscarriage, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a level of when you have a job interview and they're like, what's your best and worst <laughs> quality? And you're like, I'm too dedicated to my job, you know? Exactly. Like it's that exact vibe, like. <laughs> 
as someone who has deep respect for Taylor Swift as a songmaker, the doc I'd be interested in seeing on Taylor Swift would be like a true documentation of her making an album is something that I, I agree. Watch. Like I would yeah, just yeah. something that just really cued closely to what her creative process is like and how she mm-hmm. writes these songs. Because even in the little snippets she sometimes puts out of her in the studio with Jack Antonoff, or like I remember in 1989 she released voice notes that were like the original basis for Blank Space and a lot of songs on that record, and you can see how like they were fully formed before Max Martin ever got in the room. Like, you know, you're just yep. kind of like, wow. I just feel like maybe we're at the end of the boilerplate era of these documentaries. Yeah. And like, maybe what my mind in me proves more than anything is these need to be tailored to a specific strength or attribute to these stars in order to like make them feel not just totally perfunctory, I guess. And mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I think that's what my mind in me succeeds at, which is that it feels like it's very specifically tailored to highlight what makes Selena Gomez an intriguing public figure, which is like... Yeah as we said that like the sort of decentralization of her pop career and then this sort of journey with her mental health that she's uncommonly vulnerable about in the film. Right, right. There is like a spectrum where I think Truth or Dare is like the urtext of all of these, right? It's like right. the perfect crystallization of what they should be. Right. And my mind in me is somewhere along that spectrum closer. And then on the way other end, there's Never Say Never, which right. which is revealing it what it doesn't reveal, which yeah. is the upside down uh, version of Truth or Dare where 100%. you're like, there, there's so much I'm not seeing that I'm so, so troubled by. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I'm trying to think of who the pop star that would be that would give us a truth or dare level version of Rawness. Like, is it Rihanna? I'm not sure. Like, is it? No, I feel like it's got to be Gaga, but she didn't do that with Five Foot Two necessarily. But I feel like she has that in her. How did you feel about Five Foot Two? I was going to say, like, what what should we touch on? I just we both watched a bunch of these, and we have to just like share some random thoughts. Like, how did you feel about Five Foot Two? That's the only one I didn't rewatch, but I remember Uh when I watched it, really being struck by her like fibromyalgia stuff and all the physical pain that she's in, and I just remember her also acting ego maniacally. Oh my god, crazy. Remember when she takes her bra off like in the middle of the business meeting at the pool? (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? I mean, in a way I'm like, yeah, go sister, like free the nipple. And the other way I'm like, you are pop stardom is fucking weird. Like that's another thing that I need to just like highlight from this whole conversation is like, holy shit. Like this is such a strange thing to do with your life. And like, you are just not a normal person when you have this job. Like you can't have normal relationships and you can't be part of humanity in this like really profound way. That's deeply sad subtext to like many of these documentaries, not the point of them, but also I think in some ways, like the overarching thread that connects many of them is like, Being a pop star is fucking tragic in a lot of ways. It is. It's like the worst job on earth. I say this all the time after I've been interviewing famous people for a long time and the biggest takeaway I have is that I would never in my entire life want to be famous for no. anything. Certainly not that kind of famous, for sure. No. But even famous at all, I think yeah. it's just a direct route to pure misery. It does. And it's funny because when I was a kid, I genuinely thought I wanted to be a pop star. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like most children. Who doesn't? <laughs> I still wonder that. Actually, the other day I was sitting there and that part of me got triggered again at a certain point in my 19 hours of watching these movies. I was like, did I miss out? Like, should I be a pop star? (laughs) There's still time for us. Let's start a van. I'm so down. We'll be the new Haim. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh my God. That is my dream. I I actually think Haim like has it figured out or at least they seem to. That is what I was going to say to you is like, I think that there's a certain joy to being a Haim level famous person. Oh. You know what I mean? Well, also you have your sisters. Literally, you're not alone. You have your sisters. You can still live a normal life. You can like go to CVS. Most people like don't yeah. care who you are or what you're doing, but like you have respect and you can like play at the Hollywood Bowl. That sounds like Absolutely. I think they have really figured it out. Yeah. And I always have, I have a secret because I have long hair and I'm Jewish. I'm like, I could be in home. You know? Uh, please. That's you think you're you the need. first Jewess to say that? Come on. <laughs> 
<laughs> we all think that, girl. I put on a wig and I think the same thing. <laughs> all right. Well, let's start our own hive. Uh, say no more. Say less. Okay. I'm so okay. in. Okay. Amazing. But yeah, maybe one of the concluding thoughts I'll put out there is kind of what I got at earlier, which is that all of the things that like served Madonna in Truth or Dare, I feel like are all the things that are like kind of ruining her entire image and legacy at the moment, which was like just a really fascinating like bookend. All of the things that you, as you correctly point out, like come across as like charming petulance and charming attention hoariness in mm-hmm. the doc now are the things that like are creating her utter downfall with social media. And I think that that's the thing that needs to get put out there too, is like, I do think our act access to social media and these pop stars like portraying themselves to us all day on our phones also like renders the effect of these kind of strange because it's almost like right like I guess Madonna being a good example it's like you can't get any like raw and more unpretty than Madonna acts on Instagram all day so it's like what's a documentary gonna do for us at this point yeah but that's so interesting why is it just that she's kind of lost the control that she maybe once had over that persona and now it's just well my feeling on it more broadly speaking is that Madonna's sense of self revolves around her being the center of attention of the mm-hmm. world. Like and that <laughs> and the documentary I think really is an important plot point in understanding that. Like she's <laughs> most at home being the most famous person on earth. Like she is yeah. most comfortable like that is where she was meant to be and her mm-hmm sense of self is wrapped around that idea like she doesn't know who she is if she isn't that person and where all of this sort of self-centeredness isn't serving her grander purpose and I think what's happened is when that began to slip away from her as it does with anybody I mean nobody but pop star remains as central to the conversation at age 65 as they were at age 30 or whatever like Mm -hmm. I think she's kind of lost the thing that made her special, which was her grip on what people needed or wanted from her at any given moment. Like she had an incredibly canny ability for 25 years or so to to be a step ahead and give, you know, people talk about her reinventions, but they were always so perfectly calibrated to like stretch you outside of what you knew about her, but also never lose what you liked about her. It's something we talked about earlier on about uh, just pop stardom in general. She was the yeah. best at that. She knew how to do that so right. well. She had right. a finger Well, she invented a, it. She invented it. And her real skill is her finger on the pulse for that. That was, mm-hmm. it's not her singing. As she says it about herself in, in Truth or Dare. She's not the best singer. She's not the best dancer. She likes to push buttons. That's a really important line from Truth or Dare that mm-hmm. like, helps you understand what Madonna was good at she knew how to take these really cerebral ideas and push the pop music conversation forward just far enough while still retaining the sort of essence of the mass commercial product that pop music also needs to be and right when she lost that capacity i think she spiraled into like some dark black mirror version of like the underbelly of what that brought to her like what it all brought to her and that's kind of what we're getting now is like a person that really doesn't know who she is if she's not this thing and is still kind of floundering around to be that thing when that period is over and she needs to like move into something completely else and that's my like just personal rap on the madonna no that's that's really profound and it's Mm -hmm. just scaring me thinking about if she's sort of the blueprint for all the other pop girlies that we've been talking about and the blueprint then like spirals into what you were just just describing it's like there is no blueprint for what comes in the next like 15 years for them right i'm trying to think maybe like a share Cher's done it pretty well. I think Cher's done it really. I think a lot of stars. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think even like a Janet is a good counterpart to Madonna. I mean, Janet mm-hmm. has had to go through a but lot. But she of hasn't like, put anything out in so long. She hasn't. That's true. But she also like when she put out a record in 2015, it was not like thirsty. You know, there's like mm-hmm. things that right, like, there's right. ways. There's ways to do this that 
I don't know. I mean, it's hard to picture Madonna not wanting to be the center of attention. It feels so intrinsic to like what she yeah. does. But at the same time, I don't think it's manifesting the best in her at this particular moment. I guess yeah. No, no, no. Maybe a good way for us to wrap this up is on a positive note about Madonna because she yes. is, as you said, the sort of blueprint for everything we talked about today and yeah. everything we ever talk about on this podcast, really. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite Madonna song? Oh my God, that's so hard. I mean, it might be Take a Bow, mm. but I also, I honestly, this is, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Madonna and Evita. Like uh-huh. I was obsessed <laughs> with that movie. I was obsessed with her. And I, I remember I would put on like a Speedo as like a sort of like avant-garde costume <laughs> and I would perform the entirety of Evita as Madonna for my parents oh my god so what's your favorite song from Evita what's your favorite Evita rendition by Madonna Patty Lupone turn off the podcast if you're listening sorry Patty I'm so sorry (laughs) I it's gotta be don't cry for me I mean that's uh, what's your favorite my favorite Madonna song yeah oh god I know it's that's hard. really really hard I could go a million different directions but I think I'll name something a sort of deep cut fave of mine that is highlighted by the film which is one of the final tracks on like a prayer it's kind of her interpretation of Sly and the Family Stone's family affair, which is called Keep It Together. And it happens at the end of the film. And it's kind of like a New Jack Swing version of Sly and the Family Stone song. And it's really powerful in the film because it's kind of at the end. And there's this really spine tingling sense that the film creates so well of like the pain of the tour ending. Yes. And a lot of the things that we have talked about in this movie, which is that all of the dancers and everyone that she's posited as her close friend in this movie coming to the realization that their like friendship with Madonna is probably over you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and that's the feeling I always get from that moment in the film is like it cut between the performance of that song which is the final song on the Blonde Ambition tour and all of them kind of saying their goodbyes behind the scenes right and you get a sense from almost everybody in the room that they would stay in Madonna's presence forever if they could, but Madonna's mm-hmm. probably going to move on from all of them like the minute this thing is over and on to the right. next thing. And on. And I always just find that to be a profoundly moving aspect of the movie for some reason and profoundly it like, is. telling moment about the nature of fame and pop star. Yeah. And so that song yeah. always just like has extra heft for me even when I hear it out of context from the film because of that moment in the movie. Let's go out and keep it together just because it's from the movie and I think that that would be a, yeah, a yeah, good yeah. punctuation. So let's go out and keep it together. Rachel Handler, I do this with you for a million hours anytime. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. And our pop career is just beginning as Haim too. So Absolutely. And we'll premiere all of our work right here on yes. Pop Pantheon. So everyone can look forward to that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh my God. Thank you. And here's a clip from our new Patreon episode about the 2023 Grammy nominations. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash poppantheon or by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. The final in the big four, the album of the year. God, this year. is where my stress dreams begin. <laughs> Abba's Voyage, Adele's 30, Bad Bunny. Do you know how to pronounce it, Louis? Un verano sin ti. Thank you. Beyonce Renaissance, Brandy Carlisle in These Silent Days, Coldplay Music of the Spheres, Harry Styles, Harry House, Kendrick Lamar, Mr. Mel and the Big Steppers, Lizzo Special, and Mary J. Blige. Good morning, gorgeous. I feel like this is a fairly well-rounded category for the most part. I mean, these do feel like the most important pop albums of the year and Brandy Carlisle. 
Like that's <laughs> that's the and Mary J. Blige and Abba. It's like a classic mix. Of, this is a classic, actually. Now that I'm relating it like Grammys category, where it's like, thankfully, now that they can do ten nominees, it's like they got most of the major pop mm-hmm. albums that were well reviewed and received, and they threw in some typical Grammys bullshit with Abba and Brandy Carlisle. Then we got like the sneak attack of Mary J. Blige and then like the Coldplay Max Martin album. I don't know how that got in here. I don't know about the Coldplay album. I forgot Coldplay had an album this Produced year. Produced by feel Max like... Martin. Yeah, no, it was, it was bad. Hard pass. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, this is like the classic Beyonce Adele showdown again. I mean, I think it will come as no surprise that my should win is Renaissance with no competition. Correct. I think Lizzo's got no shot. I think... Mary's got no shot. I think Kendrick doesn't really have a shot. I just feel like that album was like not culturally what it needed to be. It's just weird. It was so blippy. And yeah, Kendrick has had some really big moments in culture. It would be very fun to see Bad Buddy win this award. If there's anybody that's going to upset Beyonce, that would be amazing like just to give it to an artist that's like such an original who doesn't sing in english who's like made such a huge impact in like a very unexpected but exciting way like Mm -hmm. that's the only person that could win this over beyonce that i would like not feel miserable about honestly if abba won over beyonce it would kind of gag me in a fun way that album does not deserve this award (laughs) this has got to go to renaissance like it has to the fact that she's never won this award that they passed over her for so many of the most important albums of the century for lemonade i mean come on it's like if they fuck this up i feel like there's gonna be rioting like they can't they cannot god that is gonna be Uh, fucked up and especially if it's adele a second time i do think that beyonce is gonna win this is that my wishful thinking oh russ it's gotta happen it really does. It's got to happen. Oh, my God. I'm going to be so devastated. I mean, it's so beyond obvious looking at this list of albums. Like, what? It's not even just that she deserves it as, like, retribution. It's, like, also a literally perfect album. Yeah. <sighs> I'm stressed about this already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So you're going... If you liked this and want to hear more episodes and get all kinds of other perks, including access to Discord, etc., join Pop Pantheon All Access at patreon.com slash poppantheon or by clicking the link in the show notes.